Hello and welcome to Tour of Truth with Krista and Company. And today's company is Barbara Emerson. Hi. Mary Cochran. Hello. And Teresa Gardner. Hi. We are on week eight of Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. We are learning so much. He walks through seven realities of experiencing God. And it's not a method or a formula, but it's realities and principles that are found in God's word that lead us into understanding how do we actually experience God to where it's not just things we read about where this relationship becomes alive. Sometimes we need guidance by those who have the Holy Spirit and have been gifted with the gifts of prophecy and of teaching and of edification for the body, which all of us have certain gifts. But, you know, there are some people like Henry Blackaby that the Lord has anointed to instruct us to help us have even further understanding of his word. And so I believe that this study is anointed and that it is a true guide to helping us find that path. The Bible talks about looking for the ancient path and go in that way. And that ancient path was about the relationship. He is trying to get us to understand who he is while we're in relationship with him. The word of God tells us that we have been called to holiness and anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but rejects God. There has to be an adjustment in our life. We cannot stay where we are and go with God. We cannot grow in our understanding of the ways of God unless we're willing to honestly look at our ourselves and adjust ourselves to the things that God has called for us to adjust to. He, by his spirit on the inside of us, will speak to us and will show us in his word and confirm it. Last week, we talked about when God shows us something, when he speaks to us through his word, through our experiences or through the church. This week, we're chatting about the adjustments that God calls us to make. Yes, and kind of going a little bit back to what you said about this study, and it's just beautiful the way he puts everything. You know, like the people that have been listening throughout the podcast, I'm sure they're feeling closer to God, but in such a deeper way, just deeper and really understanding him and knowing what God wants from us. We pray, and he mentions this in this chapter, how we always pray, God, tell me where you want me to go, open the door for me. But if we don't actually follow him when he's showing us, then what's the point? You know, we just say, okay, yeah, tell me what you want me to do, but I'm just going to sit here and I'm not going to change anything. I'm going to, you know, just be comfortable. And if it's too uncomfortable, baby, it really doesn't mean you want me to do anything. But these changes are huge, you know, things that change not only our lives, but people around us. I think you're exactly right. This unit is about us making adjustments and that adjustments are necessary. And I kind of feel like it's a little bit of a reality check for all Mm -hmm. of us. And these are some of the statements that Blackaby makes in this regard. He says, many of us want God to speak to us and give us an assignment. However, we are not interested in making major adjustments in our lives. Adjusting your life to God is the second critical turning point in your knowing and doing the will of God. If you refuse to make the adjustment, you will miss out on what God has in store for your life. Your adjustments and your obedience will be costly to you and to those around you. And what I like about Blackaby's choice of words here is the word costly. Because we have been so established in the fact that we have received salvation by the free gift of God. We cannot purchase it. We cannot earn it. Now this is indeed too good to be true news. Yet I think sometimes we need to be reminded that there is a cost to following Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 14, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. The memory verse that we had for this week is found later in that chapter, and Jesus says, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. That statement sounds pretty costly, one that should cause us to ask some questions. Blackaby says that your greatest single difficulty in following 
following God may come at this point of full surrender. We tend to want to skip making adjustments and go directly from believing God to obedience. Well, the only way you can follow him requires an alignment to your life and his ways. We think that God won't ask us to make adjustments, but if we look at scripture, we'll find that he most certainly requires adjustments of his people. Mm -hmm. He even required major adjustments from his own son. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's a major adjustment. He was willing to give up the riches of the kingdom to come because of this great love for us, so that we could have access to the Father. Jesus emptied himself of position, of wealth in heaven, in order to join the Father in providing redemption through his death on the cross. If we want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, we don't have a choice. It's not optional. Our tendency is to want God to adjust to our plans. We want to obey God, but only on our terms, right? I mean, it's hard. It's difficult to really surrender. I agree with that. And I'm just thinking about Proverbs 19.2, where it says, desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. I really struggle with that. Sometimes thinking I really want to participate and do things. And sometimes maybe I don't feel that God is calling me to do certain things, but I have to adjust myself to be obedient, to follow him and to participate in the work that he is doing. Sometimes we are uncomfortable with what God's asking us to do. It might not even be something that we feel gifted at, but that's exactly where God could be at work because it's when we are weak that he is strong and he gets a glory. it's God-sized, right? Yes. Yeah. Things and we're not capable of. Even Moses, he was yep. like, what? You're talking to me? I stutter. I'm going to talk to the yes. to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go. Yeah. You know, he didn't feel capable. Well, so, so many passages in the Bible, you're talking about Moses and Noah. I mean, God comes and tells him, hey, you got to build this ark. He didn't know how to build an ark that size. He didn't know what he was doing, but it was God. And he completely adjusted his life. He believed he God. adjusted his life and believed God. Well, and what about David? You know, he became king, but he had to leave his sheep. And he even ended up running for his life, hiding in caves in the mountains, being chased by King Saul before he became king after he had already been told that he was to be appointed as king, but yet that had not occurred. So I'm sure he was questioning himself, like, did God really say that? He was waiting on the Lord and he had to make adjustments. And then Peter, James, Andrew, and John, they had to leave their fishing business Mm -hmm. to follow Jesus. Huge adjustments. I think one of the greatest examples that we have in the Bible of somebody who had to give up so much was Saul. 100%. Who was also named Paul in the Bible. He wrote a third of the New Testament, but before that, he was killing Christians. Yes. You know, he was persecuting Christians. And he so thought then it was the right thing. He ends up actually going to his own death for this gospel and right. preaching it to the Gentiles and being so sold out to Jesus. That, that is, is a so. massive yeah. adjustment. You know, think about that because his adjustment wasn't just, I mean, it was in everything. It was yes. in the way he thought, lining up to everything according to God's purposes, ways, direction, and surrendering his life fully. If I could just add Two more examples that we have in the Bible of God calling people to make adjustments. We see the rich young ruler came and questioned Jesus about what he must do to obtain eternal life. Jesus quoted a few commandments to which the ruler replied that he had kept all those since he was a child. It's like the ruler knew that something was missing. Jesus told him he lacked one thing and instructed him to sell all he had and give the money to the poor. And the rich young ruler went away sad. Now we don't know if he went away sad because he was unwilling to make the adjustment or if he went away sad because it was going to be a tough adjustment to make. The Bible doesn't make that perfectly clear. Now, Elisha, on the other hand, Mm -hmm. he burned his bridges quite literally. Mm -hmm. He burned all his farm equipment and his oxen and fed the meat to the people of the community. He didn't care how hard he had worked to build that career or how much money he could have made if he had sold his equipment. He declared to God through sacrifice 
that he was ready to forsake all else and be wholly committed to God. And I think a lot of us can read that story of Elisha and think, yeah, that's what I would do too if God called me to do something. But we're not even willing to give up gossiping right here and now. Mm-hmm. We're not willing to tithe faithfully and consistently. We're not willing to forgive the people that have hurt us. We're not willing to burn the bridges of sexual sin in our lives. We're not willing to pray for the happiness of those who curse us. I'm not trying to be harsh or a downer. I'm just trying to show that in some ways we can want to be used mightily by God or be obedient to whatever he calls us to, but we're not willing to make the adjustments in areas that he's already clearly spoken to us. Mary, I agree. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes that Christians need to be focused on redeeming the time because the days are evil. But Paul wasn't just concerned with knowing that the world is evil. He points us to something that we need to do. We need to realize that the time is now to make the big adjustments and the changes. We're learning. We're forever learning. But are we actually applying it to our lives? The Lord requires absolute surrender. He intends to be the Lord of our life. And so a major adjustment will come at the point of acting on our faith. So it's when we're called to do something now, the intellectual decision might be the easy part Mm -hmm. for us to actually remember what the Bible said. We know what we should do, but it's the actual application of it now that becomes difficult. The hard part is adjusting our life to God and acting in a manner that demonstrates our faith. Right. I'm going through this right now. I woke up this morning and I won't share the details of it, but I have had a time where I have been praying for months. God, purify me, cleanse my heart and help me to walk in your ways. And I've been asking God, show me if there's any wickedness in me. Okay. So I've been praying this and I'm in the middle of a situation with a person that is a difficult situation. And it's kind of something out of the ordinary for me because I don't really have enemies and I don't have, I just don't have a lot of conflict with people. And if I do, I just avoid you know, I, mm-hmm. I remove myself from toxic things. Yeah. But this is a situation I can't really remove myself from. And it's caused me to have feelings that are risen up that I am like, wow, these things do not line up with the word of God, How what my flesh would like to do. And so I'm truly struggling, trying to bring myself into submission to what God's word says, how I'm supposed to respond in this exactly. situation. And I woke up this morning and the first thought that I had just in my heart, I just felt like the Lord was saying to me, you asked me to show you if there was any wickedness in you. Right. And I just sat there with that thought and I thought oh my word I did ask him the Lord shows us in his word that when we are a believer when we're a child of God that nothing happens to us that hasn't passed through his hand that he is aware of what's going on and he's allowed it in our life for some purpose and some reason and so knowing that truth I thought this is an opportunity this is God showing me the wickedness in me how am I going to respond to that still I'm left with the struggle you know the reality is I am battling between the flesh and the spirit and so my perspective has changed because God said something Mm -hmm. to me in my heart this morning and he showed me I'm showing you Mm -hmm. the wickedness in you it softened my heart to where I'm like okay I see what's happening now right and that's the beautiful thing of this relationship when we do struggle, we can go to God and we can say, Lord, help me know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Show me. That is the whole process that we're in, Mm -hmm. in this relationship with God, where he is helping us and equipping us to overcome sin. Yes. We're not just regular human beings. We have citizens of the kingdom. Exactly. And that does give strength to be able to discern the spirit's voice to say, no, this is where you're wrong. Check yourself. Before you wreck yourself. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Because It's easy to read it, but how do we actually apply it? How does it actually look in our lives? How are we being obedient to God and not just say, oh, that's not me. Uh, Yes, it is. And you know, we're not adjusting our life to a concept. We're adjusting our life to God in this relationship. But it's also God who enables us to do his will by his Holy Spirit because he's equipped us with his ability. And if we're going to totally surrender, this means reorienting our lives to him. We have to change our viewpoints to align with his. We amend our ways to be like, 
like his. Pleasing God needs to be more important than gaining the affirmation of our friends or even our pastors. If I need you to like me, or if there's something that I want for somebody to do for me, then that means that I could compromise what I'm going to say or what I should say and alter my message so I don't offend you. We can't worry about whether someone likes us or whether we're going to cut off benefits of some friendship because we stand on the truth of God's word. We have to please God and not man. We can't allow the desire to be accepted by certain people to compromise our message on biblical matters. And I think the fear of man is something that's so easy for all of us to fall into. But the antidote to that is the fear of God. When we truly have a fear of God, that will diminish our fear of man because it's almost like the concept you can't serve two masters. Our fear of the Lord will drive out our fear of man. In Ephesians 6 verse 20, Paul prayed that he would speak boldly as he ought to speak. And in the NIV translation, it says that he prayed that he would speak fearlessly as he ought to. Even Paul, he was like, I know I've got to say this with boldness and, you know, not be afraid of the people and their consequences that come because I share the truth of God's word. There's a second and a third point that Blackaby shared regarding adjustments. The first one is that we cannot stay where we are and go with God. The second was obedience is costly to you and those around you. And the third is obedience requires total dependence on God to work through you. And total dependence involves giving up our own desires, our preferences, and in turn, accepting God's will. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we say Jesus is Lord, then this means he can interrupt our plans anytime he wants. We just don't expect him to do it. We assume that he'll affirm everything that we're doing and never ask us to change anything. Going back to the second point that you mentioned about obedience being costly, Blackaby tells us that obedience is costly. One cost is enduring opposition. In 1 John 3, John said, don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. We as Christians should not be shocked by people's hatred of us, but we should actually expect it to some degree. Blackaby recounts some opposition that his church faced when they responded Mm -hmm. to God's call to start new churches across the province. The opposition ranged from full-page newspaper articles condemning them to being cursed by a witch doctor (laughs) to the denominational office basically saying, hey, don't come crying to us when you get into trouble financially. But one of the things that he said that really stood out to me is that he soon discovered that every step of faith could be interpreted as presumption by others. So I think this is something that we are going to have to brace ourselves for. Anytime that we are walking in faith and obedience, it could be misinterpreted by others. And it reminded me of something that David went through when he endured some presumptuous opposition. If I could just share with you a portion of scripture from 1 Samuel 17. This is the message translation, obviously. But it says, Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. So isn't it interesting that Eliab referred to David's flock as scrawny? Sometimes people, even those close to you, will belittle you or what you do or what you're capable of. The Bible credits David with being pretty great at what he did, protecting his father's flock from lions and bears, but he got no such love from his brother. Then Eliab says, I know what you're up to. Sometimes people will judge you and your motives. 
David was the only one thinking clearly in this situation, and yet he is accused of having intentions and motives of deceit and pride. David's brother was wrong about David, but thankfully David did not let that keep him from doing great things for God. Try not to let other people's opinions of you or judgments of your motives keep you from doing what God has called you to do. He is the only one you answer to. So Blackaby says that some people interpreted their faith as presumption, but he goes on to say that it was only by obedience and God's affirmation of their obedience that would reveal they were doing God's will. Later, as those churches they planted grew and flourished and were self-supporting, some of the critics realized this was indeed the work of God. I'm sure David's brother was singing a different tune when Goliath was dead. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> obedience to God's will leads to opposition and misunderstanding. As you said, Paul suffered much for the cause of Christ. And sometimes you stand alone. Yes. Mm-hmm. So our adjustments and faith and obedience to Christ may be difficult as well, and it may cause some opposition and some misinterpretation. I don't think it's a may. It's gonna. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so much truth in that, because sometimes you can stand alone, or sometimes you can be even with one or two brothers or sisters in Christ, and because you're standing on the truth of God's Word. You know, we live in a world today where so much is being compromised mm-hmm. of God's Word, and Christianity, we are becoming the minority. Our pastor recently, he said, we are becoming the exiles. The Israelites were in a, living in a foreign land. Yes. You know, we are now beginning to feel like yeah, we're living that. in a foreign land. We are not a country that is about Christian values and principles mm-hmm. and standing on the, the fullness of God's Word anymore. There was a time, but we have gotten far from that. And so there are many times we will feel as if we're standing alone, even in Christian circles, you right. know, because not everyone in the faith stands on God's word. There's a verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 41 10, and it says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love these promises mm-hmm. that we have, mm-hmm. you know, in Isaiah 46, 9 and 11, it says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I I am God and there is none like me. I made known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey and from far off, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. That is powerful. Mm -hmm. That is the Lord saying, from ancient times up until Mm -hmm. what I have planned in the future, it is all going to happen. Without God at work in you, we can do nothing to produce kingdom fruit. When God purposes something, he guarantees it will happen. He is the only one who will accomplish what he intends to do. And if you follow someone else's plan, if you use a method or a program, we can forget about the dependence upon God. You know, we can start looking to the program Mm -hmm. and the way that the The church or whatever has told us to do something. Mm -hmm. If we leave our relationship with God and go after a method, you know what the Bible calls that? Spiritual adultery. Adultery. You know, it's funny. I was just looking at different websites and you know how you have the pop-up ads sometimes or whatever and one pop-up and I was like, seriously? Because it reminded me of our study and it was like, how to start a church in four steps. like what they even have sermons for pastors i'm getting those emails and it's like you don't have a sermon this week here you go and you can you have to pay to subscribe and it gives you all the sermons other people's messages and you can just (sighs) adopt them and that is a scary thing it is you know to think that someone could buy their message rather than seek the lord to know what is god saying to our church because it's just like how do i look in front of these people 
people. It's the selfishness, but the just a false. They're false because they're really not even seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord, going into His Word. What worked for one church does not mean it's going to work for, exactly. for everybody else because it's God's plan, and everybody is different, and His plan is different. For well, and the sad everybody. thing about what you just shared about the four steps to start a church. Church, unfortunately, is become big business. The Bible says there's wolves among the sheep. We can't trust everything, and you really can't trust every church. You have to discern right. where you're at by the Spirit of God living on the inside of you to make sure they are truly sticking to what God's Word says. Yes, and that's one thing we hear a lot of from our pastors. It's not what I say. Go to God the Word. Says, you have to go and search this because what if I'm wrong? What if I'm telling you something that's just my thought? No, you have to go and search, and that's definitely what we need to do. Sometimes as we adjust our life to God, He requires that we wait on Him. God is seeking this love relationship with us, so waiting develops absolute dependence. Mm-hmm. You know, we can think of waiting sometimes as passive, but it's actually anything but inactive. While we wait on God, we should be praying with a passion to know Him his purposes and his ways. This is a time that we can evaluate our circumstances and ask God to reveal his perspective on them. When you're having to wait, you should continue to do the last thing that God told you to do. And in waiting, we're shifting the responsibility of the outcome to God. And then when God gives you specific guidance, he'll do more through you in days or in weeks than you could do in years of effort. Mm -hmm. When we are trying to do it in our own strength and our own resources, it could take tons of time. But when God shows up, it just gets done. Through the prophet of Jeremiah, God tells us where we need to get our direction in life. And in Jeremiah 23, he's telling us that if we count on our own thinking, our own reasoning or logic, that we're going to be in big trouble. And that's why so many efforts to change and make these adjustments fail. We leave God out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 55, 9 tells us, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So that's mm-hmm. just so deep because even when they're difficult or they don't make any sense, they're not our ways. They're God's ways. Which is why it's so important to to learn God's ways so that we can begin to understand God's perspective Mm -hmm. on our situation. You know, when we look at life happening to us from our perspective, we cannot understand what's happening. But God can give us an understanding through His perspective because His perspective is eternal. That's where we learn to trust Him Mm -hmm. and know that that Romans 8.28 is true. He'll take all things, that means the good and the bad, and He'll turn them for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so because we know that he'll take them all we can know even when it seems bad to us god is working on something either in us or in someone around us for eternal purposes that he's doing something to help someone get into the kingdom he didn't promise it would be easy actually his word says many are the afflictions of the righteous but the lord delivers them from every one of them blackaby instructs us that as you wait on the lord actively ask seek and knock and he makes this statement that i want everyone to really hear he says god often waits to act until we ask and if i could just read that to you guys one more time because I think it's such a biblical truth and it's so important for us to remember as Christians that God often waits to act until we ask. I think prayer is such an untapped resource that we have and we can fall into this trap of thinking that prayer is just a formality that we do before we eat or before we go to bed. So many times I've heard people say, well, you know, if it's God's will, then it will happen. Mm -hmm. Thinking that, well, if it's meant to be, it'll be. Not realizing what you're explaining that it does take prayer to activate God's involvement in our lives because he wants that relationship. Absolutely. In the book of James, it tells us that if we need wisdom, we are to ask God. Now, 
do you think God already knows that we need wisdom? Because I'm pretty sure he knows long before we do that we need wisdom. And yet we are told to ask God. And then it says he will gladly give it to us. But you notice how we're supposed to ask first and then he'll give it to us. Jesus told the woman at the well, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask Ask. me and then I would give you living water. He would give it to her when she asked. God told Jeremiah, ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. Mm. Now God obviously wants to tell Jeremiah these secrets, Mm -hmm. but he instructs him first to ask. Yes. So ask, ask, ask. God often waits until we ask. When the disciples came to Jesus, they said, teach us how to pray. And one of the things he said was, give us this day our daily bread. Does God know that we need daily bread? Of course he created us that way. And yet we are instructed to ask. So when God encounters you, you face a crisis of belief that may require major adjustments in your life. You need to learn how to pray. However, realize that prayer may be exceedingly costly to you. God may wake you up in the middle of the night to pray. Times may come when you pray into the night or even all night. But becoming a person of prayer will require a major adjustment of your life to God. The greatest untapped resource is the prayer of God's people. Those are Blackaby's words. It's a powerful truth. The word of God tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I remember that verse being explained to me by a pastor and it was very poignant the way that it was explained because when I was younger and I read that verse, I thought, well, nobody's righteous. How can anyone be righteous? Because not one, the Bible says, is righteous. But the understanding of that verse comes when we understand that we put on the righteousness of Christ when we repent. When Mm -hmm. we have repented, we are clean. We stand righteous before Mm -hmm. the Lord. Repentance, remember, it's not just being sorry. It is turning from those things that dishonor God, that he abhors. It's saying, I renounce this. I don't want to do it. It's when we humble ourselves and bow down to him and say, I am sorry and mean it. Our hearts are clean. And if that has to happen every day, then so be it. Mm -hmm. Do it every day. The Lord will work things out in you through his spirit as we get into his word and he renews our mind because that's what he said his word does. That's how it becomes living and active and alive in us and not just words on a page. Jesus himself said, this is your life. I just want to encourage everyone that's listening. Our father has a purpose to work out through your life and he places his spirit within us so we don't have to miss it. And I would say, first off, if you've not come to the place in your life where you've surrendered all to his lordship, then decide to do that today. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And it just comes down to submitting to God. First, repent, submit to him, accept what Jesus did for you on the cross, and tell him that you want him to be the Lord and mean it with your whole heart, and then get into his word. You might have already, you've already done that, right? And so, Is there an adjustment that God's been asking you to make that you found difficult? And is there something that God's asking you to do right now that you're resisting? Well, go ahead and close our study in prayer and just ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart today. So Father, thank you so much for this day and thank you for this opportunity to come and to speak about your word and to impart truths from your word. I just pray, Father, that your spirit would go out to all of the hearts who are listening today, Father. I just pray, Lord, that you would stir something up by your spirit and that you would begin to activate faith, that you would begin to reveal truth, that you would unveil eyes that can't see, and that you would reveal spiritual truths of the things that have been spoken today, that your word would not return void because you have told us that when you send it out, by whatever messenger that it would be, that it will not come back empty-handed. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises in your word that we are children of the Most High God and that you are mighty to save. We thank you that you have created us for a purpose and it is to glorify you and it is for, for good things to come, that you have a plan that you are working out in each one of our lives. And Lord, I just pray 
pray that you will be with each one of us and that you will that you would just do a mighty work in our hearts humble us bring us to a place that we will lay all of the things down that we need to lay down that we will surrender totally and fully to you lord that you can work through us to accomplish your purposes in jesus name we pray amen amen if you'd like to listen again or if you'd like to hear another podcast you can find us at touroftruth.com or you can find us on facebook we'll look forward to chatting with you again soon